Chapter Forty One of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. April's Lady by Margaret Wolf Hungerford. Chapter Forty One. It is not tomorrow. Ah, were it to-day, there are two that I know that would be gay. Good-bye, good-bye, good-bye. Ah, I parting wounds so bitterly. It is six weeks later. Spring has come up this way, and all the earth is glad with a fresh birth. Tantarara, the joyous book of spring, lies open, writ in blossoms, not a bird of evil augury is seen or heard come now like pan's old crew will dance and sing or oberon's for hill and valley ring to march's bugle horn earth's blood is stirred march has indeed come boisterous wild terrible in many ways but lovely in others there is a freshness in the air that rouses glad thoughts within the breast vague thoughts sweet as as undefinable and that yet mean life the whole land seems to have sprung up from a long slumber and to be looking with wide happy eyes upon the fresh marvels nature is preparing for it rather naked she stands as yet rubbing her sleepy lids having just cast from her her coat of snow and feeling somewhat bare in the frail garment of bursting leaves and timid grass growths that as yet is all she can find wherein to hide her charms but half clothed as she is she is still beautiful everything seems full of eager triumph hills trees valleys lawns and bursting streams all are overflowing with wild enjoyment all the dull dingy drapery in which winter had shrouded them has now been cast aside and the resplendent furniture with which each spring delights to deck her home stands revealed all these past dead months her house has lain desolate enfolded in death's cements but now uprising in her vigorous youth she flings aside the dull coverings and lets the sweet brilliant hues that lie beneath shine forth in all their beauty to meet the eye of day earth and sky are in bridal array and from the rich recesses of the woods and from each shrub and branch the soft glad paeans of the mating birds sound like a wedding chant Monkton had come back from the sad journey to Nice some weeks ago. He had had very little to tell on his return, and that of the saddest, it had all been only too true about those inquisitous debts, and the old people were in great distress. The two townhouses should be let at once, and the old place in Warwickshire the home as he called it well there was no hope now that it would ever be redeemed from the hands of the manchester people who held it 
and sir george had been so sure that this spring he would have been in a position to get back his own and have the old place once more in his possession it was all very sad there is no hope now he will have to let the place to barton for the next ten years said monkton to his wife when he got home barton was the manchester man he is still holding off about doing it but he knows it must be done and at all events the reality won't be a bit worse than the thinking about it poor old governor you wouldn't know him barbara he has gone to skin and bone and such a frightened sort of look in his eyes oh poor poor old man cried barbara who could forget everything in the way of past unkindness where her sympathies were enlisted toward the end of february the guests had begun to arrive at the court lady baltimore had returned there during january with her little son but baltimore had not put in an appearance for some weeks a good many new people unknown to the monktons had arrived there with others whom they did know and after a while dicky brown had come and miss maliphant and the brabazons and some others whom joyce was on friendly terms but even though lady baltimore had made rather a point of the girls being with her joyce had gone to her but sparingly and always in fear and trembling it was so impossible to know who might not have arrived last night or was going to arrive this night besides barbara and freddy were so saddened so upset by the lake death and its consequences that it seemed unkind even to pretend to enjoy oneself joyce grasped at the excuse to say no very often to lady baltimore's kindly longings to have her with her that up to this neither dysart nor beauclerk had come to the court had been a comfort to her but that they might come at any moment kept her watchful and uneasy indeed only yesterday she had heard from lady baltimore that both were expected during the ensuing week that news leaves her rather unstrung and nervous to-day after luncheon having successfully eluded tommy the lynx-eyed she decided upon going for a long walk with a view to working off the depression to which she had become prey this is how she happens to be out of the way when the letter comes for barbara that changes altogether the tenor of their lives the afternoon post brings it the delicious spring day has worn itself almost to a close when monkton entering his wife's room where she is busy at a sewing machine altering a frock for mabel drops a letter over her shoulder into her lap what a queer-looking letter says she staring in amazement at the big official blue envelope aha i thought it would make you shiver says he lounging over to the fire and nestling his back comfortably against the mantelpiece what have you been up to i should like to know no wonder you are turning a lively purple but what can it be says she that just it says he teasingly 
I hope they aren't going to arrest you, that's all. Five years penal servitude is not a thing to hanker after. Mrs. Monkton, however, is not listening to this tirade. She has broken open the envelope and is now scanning hurriedly the contents of this important-looking document within. There is a pause, a lengthened one. Presently Barbara rises from her seat, mechanically, as if it were, always with her eyes fixed on the letter in her hand. She has grown a little pale. A little puzzled frown is contracting her forehead. Freddy, says she in a rather strange tone. What? says he quickly. No more bad news, I hope. Oh, no. Oh, yes. I can't quite make it out. But I'm afraid my poor uncle is dead. Your uncle? Yes, yes, my father's brother. I think I told you about him. He went abroad years ago, and we, Joyce and I, believed him dead a long time ago, long before I married you even. But now, come here and read it. It is worded so oddly that it puzzles me. Let me see it, says Monkton. He sinks into an easy chair and drags her down on to his knee, the better to see over her shoulder. This satisfactory arranged, he begins to read rapidly the letter she holds up before his eyes. Yes, dead indeed, says he, sotto voice. Go on, turn over, you mustn't fret about that, you know, Barbara. Er, er, reading, what's this, by Jove? What? says his wife anxiously. What is the meaning of this horrid letter, Freddy? There are a few people who might not call it horrid, says Monkton, placing his arm round her and rising from the chair. He is looking very grave. Even though it brings you news of your poor uncle's death, still it brings you to the information that you are heiress to about a quarter of a million. What? says Barbara faintly. And then, oh no, oh nonsense, there must be some mistake. Well, it sounds like it at all events. Sad occurrence. Hm, hm, reading. co -hiris. Very considerable fortune. He looks to the signature of the letter. Hodgkin and Fair. Very respectable firm. My father has had dealings with them. They say your uncle died in Sydney, and has left behind him an immense sum of money, half a million, in fact, to which you and Joyce are co-heiresses. There must be a mistake, repeats Barbara in a low tone. It seems, too, like a fairy tale. It does, and yet lawyers like Hodgkin and Fair are not likely to be led into a cul-de-sac, if— he pauses and looks earnestly at his wife. If it does prove true, Barbara, you will be a very rich woman. And you will be rich with me, she says quickly, in an agitated tone. But, but, yes, it does seem difficult to believe, interrupts he slowly. What a letter! His eyes fall on it again, and she, drawing close to him, reads it once more, carefully. I think there is truth in it, says she at last. It sounds more like being all right, more reasonable, when read a second time. 
Freddy, she steps a little bit away from him, and rests her beautiful eyes full on his. Have you thought, says she slowly, that if there is truth in this story, how much we shall be able to do for your father and mother? Monkton starts as if stung for them, to do anything for them, for the two who had so wantonly offended and insulted her during all their married life. Is her first thought to be for them? Yes, yes, says she eagerly. We shall be able to help them out of all their difficulties. Oh, I didn't say much to you, but in their grief their troubles have gone to my very heart. I couldn't bear to think of their being obliged to give up their hoses, their comforts, and in their old age, too. Now we shall be able to smooth matters for them. End of chapter 41 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.